0: turn with me to Matthew, Uh, Matthew, the 20th chapter, Matthew 20, and this morning we'll be looking at the subject, the mercy of God. We've been talking about the grace of God, and we've sang a little bit about the mercies of God this morning, and... uh, We're thankful for God's grace giving us something we don't deserve. We're thankful for His mercy not giving us something we do deserve. And so uh, we're going to look at the mercy of God in Matthew chapter 20 uh, this morning. I read of an old man who came shuffling into a store with his walker carefully feeling his way along, and he was a blind man who lived in the community. He had a unique way of getting someone to come and help him. He would make his way through the doorway and into the middle of the store, and then standing in one spot, he would shout at the top of his voice, Help! Someone! Help! I need help! Please, someone, will you help me? And he would keep shouting until someone finally came and helped him. Well, he never really had to wait very long because when he he made that much noise and he uh, kept calling, he would get four or five employees that would quickly run and see what in the world was wrong. And then he would calmly tell them what he was looking for, and he probably received some of the fastest and best customer service that anyone else would have uh, gotten in that story. You know, there have been times when I thought maybe that's a good way to do it, huh? Now, when I think of that old blind man in that story, I think of a good old-fashioned word we rarely hear anymore, and it's the word importunity. Importunity. To be importuned means to press for what you want or beg for what you need in a repetitive or urgent way. It means to go to such lengths in insisting on what you want that you can no longer care whether or not it's inappropriate. Sounds like some of my grandchildren. Or you don't care whether you're an annoyance to those around you. I believe the old blind man in that story that I just told you was probably one of the most importuned people I've ever heard about. But he was just wanting someone to help him. He was wanting someone to come to his aid. And in our passage this morning, in our text, we're going to find two blind men who were importuned for something higher and more eternal. They heard that Jesus, the miracle working Son of David, was traveling along the short. Uh, the road a short distance away, and they didn't want Him just to pass them by. They wanted something from Him. And they were so desperate to get that, they cried and they pleaded for mercy in a very importune manner. They wanted something from Jesus so much they were willing to become an absolute nuisance to everyone around them until they got it, and it worked. One of the things that I've grown to appreciate about Our wonderful Savior is that He seems to approve of importunity of those who desperately want the right things from Him. And those who will not give up until they receive it. After all, as you remember, Jesus is one who said in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Well, the manner in which he says these words are in the present tense suggests that it's persistent acting or asking, it's persistent seeking, it's persistent knocking, asking, seeking, and knocking that will not quit until it receives or finds or sees the door at last open. And what's more, Jesus is the one who spoke a parable that actually invites us to in, and encourages us to be importuned toward the Father. In Luke chapter 18, teaching us that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge uh, that feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city that she came to him and saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because of this widow troubling troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And also we find Jesus is the one who responded to the importunity of the Gentile woman who kept asking him to heal her daughter. The disciples, you remember, kept asking him to give that annoying woman what she wanted so she'd go away and leave him alone. But he seemed to ignore the woman's pleas saying that he hadn't been sent to anyone except the lost sheep of Israel. And it was not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, and yet she wouldn't take no for an answer and said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And with that, he finally turned to her and said, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And then he healed her daughter. You know, one of the greatest heroes of faith in the Bible is the man who was shockingly importune in his behavior toward God. The old patriarch Jacob, at a key moment of crisis in his life, found that the Lord had made a late-night, pre-incarnate appearance to him. And Jacob, as you remember, grabbed a hold of God and wrestled with Him all night long, refusing to let Him go until He blessed Him. And the Lord said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he, Jacob, said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Imagine that kind of behavior toward God. How importune. And yet it worked. And God allowed Jacob to wrestle with him all night long and prevailed until he blessed him. And so these two blind men in our passage this morning are a fine biblical tradition. They're examples to us of the kind of importunity of faith that gets our Lord's attention. And the Holy Spirit has included their story for us in His Word in order to remind us that that kind of faith that our wonderful Savior will be pleased with and will will respond to. So let's look at this passage here, beginning in verse uh, 29. Notice first the call. For mercy. The call for mercy. Now, as we've been making our way through the Gospel of Matthew, we have found that the tone has been growing increasingly somber. Jesus is on his pathway that eventually will bring him to the cross and to his sacrifice for you and me. And so when we come to chapter 21, immediately after this morning's passage. We find that the great event then describes for us Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And we're told that he and his disciples are uh, going out of Jericho, about 10 to 15 miles away from Jerusalem. And that great crowd was following him. And in just a day or so, the long-awaited king of the Jews would finally come to his people as the scriptures promised he would meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, uh, the foal of an ass. It was there in chapter 21 and verse 5, and then had been prophesied back in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. In just a day or so, the exciting multitudes would greet him with palm branches in hand and would spread their cloaks before him, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Just a few days after that, the same crowds would cry out, Let him be crucified. And he would hang on the cross beneath the inscription that read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And he himself would cry out with a loud voice and yield up his spirit as a sacrifice for sinners. And then in just a few days, the veil of the temple would be torn in two, opening up the way for sinners like you and me to enter into fellowship with a holy God. Just a few days, the precious blood of our body of Jesus would be laid in a tomb. And in just a few days more, he would gloriously be raised from the dead forever, our mighty victor over the grave. We need to keep all these essential events in mind as we even read our passage this morning. Jesus was walking on the road from the region of Judea beyond Jordan on His way to the city of Jerusalem. And it's probably hard for us in our frail minds to comprehend the magnitude of the great work He was on His way to accomplish. There really couldn't be anything more important. There really couldn't be anything more solemn, more serious. And yet it's this context that we See, our passage stand out remarkably. It highlights for us how wonderfully merciful and compassionate our Savior is. As Matthew tells us of how Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, his triumphal entry, his subsequently being sacrificed on the gruesome cross, the Holy Spirit made sure that he also included this text that we have this morning. The Spirit wanted to teach us that Jesus is just what He Himself said He was. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many, as we saw in chapter 20, verse 28. Our Savior was on His way the very moment to accomplish the most momentous work of service in all of history. His sacrifice on the cross for your sins, my sins. His resurrection from the dead for our justification. And yet even at such an important moment as that, Jesus is willing to stop in His course, uh, 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 in His journey there to the city, and He's going to respond to the pleas of two poor, miserable, blind men whom the rest of the world had largely ignored. What an encouragement this ought to be to us this morning. That our Savior would stop and listen to these two blind men who, with great importunity, cried out to Him. He's never too busy to minister to those who genuinely want to trust Him and who cry out to Him in sincere faith. So we find the call for mercy. Secondly, we sign the cry. Look at verse 30. And it says here, And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. To understand their cry Jesus, uh, to Jesus, you would have to appreciate the condition that they were in. And we can praise God that today we live in a world that protects the dignity of sightless folks, makes it possible for them to live much more happy and productive lives in society. There weren't any such accommodations in the ancient world. The blind were, for the most part, discarded by society. Very often their blindness was caused by some infection or disease resulting in some grotesque redness or swollenness and constant running of the eyes. And often there were physical disable, other physical disablements involved as well. People were afraid to touch them. And these people, these blind folks, were quite helpless. They re- were rejected. They were despised. They would only survive through an occasional mercy of others. These two men were in deep need for the grace of God. And if I may say so, the fact that, makes, that fact makes them an accurate picture of the desperate condition that you and I are in before God as well. That is, apart from His grace. We may go along in life thinking, well, we're just fine. But in reality, we don't realize we're blind to the truth. We don't realize that our sin has separated us from God who made us for Himself and we are doomed and we are needy in his sight, Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. He defined blindness as an inability to see Him for who He is, to see our true need for Him. He defined it as an inability to realize that we have a need of salvation, and that the only way He's able, or that only He is able, only He is able to save us. When He set before people and they then walked away from Him, thinking they didn't need anything from Him, believing that perhaps other people may need Jesus, but they themselves were just fine then they were displaying that they were spiritually blind. (coughs) But when God's grace comes to a person and a person realizes their deep need, that Jesus is the Savior and they place their trust in Him for salvation, they finally have their eyes open and they can see And they also can truly sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. These two men knew they were blind. They had no hope in and of themselves, but they heard a crowd passing by, and when they asked what was going on, someone told them Jesus was passing by. I believe these two men knew the talk that was going around about Jesus. I believe they had heard about all the miracles that he had done, about all the marvelous things that had been said about him. I also believe that they had done a lot of thinking about what they had heard. And after all, you can do an awful lot of thinking when you're doing nothing at all but sitting by a wayside begging for alms. And what's more, you can tell by what they said that they had come to Some important conclusions about Jesus. They called Him Lord. That's a term of great reverence. They called Him the Son of David. That's a messianic title. They even believed that He had the power to give sight to the blind. Perhaps they remembered what it says in Isaiah 29 in verse 18 about the times of the Messiah, where it says, "...and in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind..." shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. One of the great signs that the blind were beginning to see is that they finally would recognize truth about Jesus. And so hearing that Jesus was passing by, they wasted no time. They thought that there may not be another chance like this. And in truth, there wouldn't be because Jesus was not going to pass this way again. And so right where they sat, they cried out with importunity. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And can you imagine what an embarrassment they were? Didn't they know that Jesus, the King of the Jews, was passing by? Didn't they know that crowds were following along with them? Didn't they know that the Messiah was making His way to Jerusalem and to the very city over which He had a right to rule as a king? Didn't they know that the multitudes would then soon celebrate and wave palm branches and sing Hosanna to the Son of David, didn't they understand that they needed to observe some proper religious decorum at a moment like this? Well, if they did, they certainly didn't care. You know, religious decorum is that which keeps many people from pleading with the Savior for saving grace and saving mercy. Propriety, uh, propriety can hinder people from crying to Jesus for what they need the most. You see, when you're blind and you have opportunity to, to see, who cares about religious decorum? It's time to cry out with importunity. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And let me suggest to you this morning that the degree to which you are willing to cry out to Jesus for mercy is determined by the degree to which your eyes have been opened and that you see your need for what it really is. When God graciously allows you to see the truth about yourself and when you realize you're a lost sinner with God's just and righteous wrath hanging over you for your sins, when you discover that God has mercifully provided the righteous life of His own precious Son on the cross for payment of your sins, when you realize that eternal life is yours, if you will only trust Him, and when you discover that, then that is the day of salvation, and there may not be another. Well, that's when you let decorum go out the window, and you cry out with all your being, O oh Lord, have mercy, on me. Save me. And after all, a drowning man doesn't worry about whether he's being proper. Um, Sir, I'm drowning here. Could you please save me? No. It's a cry. Oh, Lord! Help me! Save me! Have mercy on me. That turns our attention to the character of mercy. Notice what he did. Matthew tells us in verse 32, And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? Notice, first of all, Jesus was ready to show mercy. Think of just that much of it. Jesus, the son of David, was even then on his way to the cross to die for the sins of mankind. And what could have been more important than that? And yet at the cries and the pleas of these two importune blind men, he comes to a complete stop. And that, if I may say so, was a remarkable accomplishment. These two blind men actually stopped the Lord The Son of God in his tracks and made him pause to cry or hear their cries, and yet, though it was their cries that he heard, it was his grace that made him stop to hear them. Reminds us that he will graciously hear anyone here in this room who truly calls out to him in faith. Jesus was ready. Secondly, Jesus responded to their cry. Matthew tells us that He called them in verse 32. And again, just think of that. With all the people around the blind men telling them to be quiet and with all the crowds pressing in around Jesus wanting Him to speak to them, He calls out instead to these two blind men in response to their cries and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? By the way, isn't it fascinating that Jesus asked that question? Didn't he already know what they wanted? Wasn't it obvious? Well, of course it was. But again, this reminds us that it's our Savior's will that we say specifically that what it is that we want from him. The sort of importune faith that catches our Lord's attention isn't something mushy or vague. It's, kind, it's the kind that's bold enough and daring enough to be very specific about what He asks of Him. And so these two men, they came to Him, and they say specifically what they wanted to Him. They say, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Verse 33. And when you're lost and you're a hopeless sinner, don't just come to say, to Jesus and say, oh Lord, bless me in whatsoever you'd like to. It really doesn't matter. No, that's not what you say. You, you get specific and you say, Lord, I'm lost. Lord, save my soul. And so Jesus called to them, responded to their cry, and notice then Jesus was removed, was moved by their request, by their request. Verse 34, and Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed Him. Matthew tells us that Jesus was deeply moved in His spirit by their request. We're told that Jesus had compassion for them. Others may have wanted Jesus to hurry up and heal them and shut them up and get get going on the way. That's not the way our wonderful Savior works. That's not His motive. He loved these two men. We're even told that he reached forth his hand and actually touched their eyes. That was something that no one would have expected the Messiah to do, to poor, miserable, blind beggars like these. People may be irritated by our pleas for the Savior's mercy, but he is never irritated. He is motivated by deep love for anyone who trusts him who cries out to him. He willingly reaches out and touches the most unworthy sinner who cries out to him with importunity. Finally, notice what happened here. We're told immediately their eyes received sight. Right there, right then, in front of all those people who had been telling them to shut up and be quiet, we're told they followed him. Two blind men, now gazed upon Jesus and joined the crowds as they followed him to Jerusalem and then to the cross. And then let's look at this passage by considering the certainty of mercy. There are several lessons we should learn about the mercy of the Lord and how he showed it to these two blind men and he will show it to us as well. And one thing we should learn from these two blind men is that we should never be ashamed of to admit we desperately need Jesus. Never be ashamed to, be, to admit the fact that you desperately need Jesus. Unbelieving people will always be inclined to mock us for being needy, for crying out to Jesus. They'll condemn us for not being self-reliant. And they'll say, you're just using Jesus as a crutch. And when they do, let's be real. Let's go ahead and freely admit Jesus is our crutch. He is our crutch. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing that we can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can lean on Him. He invites us to lean on Him. Because our souls have been crippled by sin. There's no shame in using a crutch when you're crippled. We might even want to go further and tell them that their soul has been crippled by sin too, and if they would just realize that. And we might also say when their eyes are finally open, as ours have been, and when they finally see how much their soul has been crippled by sin, they too will be happy to recommend Jesus as the greatest crutch for a crippled soul that one can ever lean upon. Another thing we learn here, it's another lesson, I think, from these two men, is that Jesus is abundantly merciful. He is merciful to every one of us, poor, miserable, blind, crippled souls, that has ever cried out to Him. And as this story teaches us, He's never too busy for us. He stops in His tracks for us, and He hears our plea for mercy. He graciously asks what it is that we want from Him. And even if it's so great a thing as restoration of our spiritual sight so that we can see the truth about our need, even if it's so great a thing as saving our souls from the crippled effects of sin, He is graciously willing to reach out and touch us in our need. The Son of God, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. We can safely cry out to Him. And finally then we learn from these two blind men that we need to follow their example in asking. Because of how desperately we need Jesus and how, how He's ready to show us mercy, let's cry out to Him with all of our being. And never care about what the world thinks. Jesus is merciful. And he gives his attention to those who sincerely cry out to him in their deep need. With unrelenting importunity of faith. Jesus Christ is a God of mercy and compassion giving hope for desperate souls. Some argue that they've sinned too greatly. They've blown some other opportunities. Listen, the gospel has been proclaimed. Christ is passing by. Call to Him for mercy. Appeal to Him as the sovereign Lord, as the Messianic King, the Son of David. Appeal to Him as the one who has offered Himself at the cross on your behalf. Call out to Him for mercy. Don't stop your pleas until you know the assurance that is yours and you are his. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy.